0: Hi there and welcome to the Guernsey Press Business Podcast. My name is Will Green and I'm the business editor at the Guernsey Press. Over the weeks and months ahead, we'll be exploring the big themes and trends affecting business in the Bailiwick. We've got some major topics to discuss in the first edition of the show with my guests Haley Camp, Risk and Compliance Director at EPEA Fund Services Guernsey, David Pising, Head of Wealth Structuring at Praxis IFM Trust, and Harry Dick Cleland, chairman of a county firm, Cleland & Co. Later on, we'll hear where they think the island's at as we look to bounce back from the impacts of the pandemic. But first, we talked about the news this month from the G7, where some of the world's leading economic powers reached what's been billed as an historic deal on global tax including agreeing in principle to introduce a global minimum corporate tax rate of 15. Sounds exciting, but what does it mean for Guernsey and our leading industry? Let's find out. What's your take on this Hayley? Is it bad news for Guernsey?
1: I don't think necessarily it is. Um, I mean the, the point obviously one it's it's focused at big tech companies. We all know that or we assume that other things get caught up in that in that sort of world whenever we're talking about tax. But on the other hand, Guernsey's always set itself out as a good global tax citizen. Um, and uh, clearly, you know, we've done a lot of work over the last few years and, and much um, into the, the sort of history before that to ensure that we do um, occupy that position. So I've got every. Uh, every confidence that we will we will meet this in a in a well-informed well-judged way and um, continue to take our place as a a good citizen.
0: David do you fear that Guernsey's in the firing line for this?
2: Not really no Um, not in that particular firing line anyway I think uh, you know as Hayley says we're not really um, in the um, uh, the crosshairs of um, large sort of corporate tax uh, structuring here and in fact quite a few of the the nil tax jurisdictions uh, are not really involved in that sector uh, at all. Um, most of that activity um, is is really focused, I think, on, uh, on on through Ireland, through Luxembourg, through the Netherlands, uh, more than the uh, you know the nil tax jurisdictions. So um, I don't think that particular um, bullet is being fired at the uh, uh, at the uh, the nil tax jurisdictions.
0: Do you think that uh, it could actually be quite bad news for Ireland and do you think they'll fight tooth and nail to try and stop this or is it too late?
2: Uh, well, I don't think it's too late at all because, um, you know, ultimately for this to succeed, uh, it's going to need to have uh, EU approval. If, if, for example, I mean, funds clearly are not actually really caught in, in a lot of, um, uh, of, of the crosshairs either. Um, but I do think that that you're going to find these, several of these EU jurisdictions joining forces to, to resist this becoming a, uh, an EU uh, decision um, without those countries getting pretty much what they want to protect their core industries. So it's, it's, it's not plain sailing to get it through by any stretch of imagination, and I can't imagine it's going to happen very quickly.
0: Harry, could there be
3: some benefits to a global tax shake-up for Guernsey? Yes, I, I, th- I think there could be because um, my, my initial reaction to this was, uh, if, if, it, if it becomes reality, then that's the time that we do adopt a territorial tax system, which uh, all three jurisdictions have to do at exactly the same time. So it's vital that Jersey, Guernsey, and the Isle of Man stick together. And as, as Deputy Mark Hellier said, they are talking, but I mean we can't even get to co- agree a COVID policy between us. So this is something that all three islands must do at exactly the same time. We do all need money. And a territorial tax system where you're taxed on um, Guernsey-sourced income, uh, I think would, whatever that rate will be, people can decide in the future. But I just think that solves one hell of a lot of issues. And then we can just say to anybody that's going to attack us in future, well, go away because, well, we're not a zero-tax jurisdiction anymore. Do you think that means, Hayley,
0: that... The unfortunate tag that seems to persist, even if it's not correct, that the Crown dependencies tax havens would simply disappear. It's impossible to say that.
1: Yeah, I think we end up with the same problem that we've always had or the same challenge is that um, whether uh, we're a a tax haven or not, which of course we are emphatically not, Um, there's a political um viewpoint i think that we are but it scores political points around the globe and it becomes very easy to then you know throw us onto uh blacklists and things like that because it 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 just is an incredibly easy way to uh to to keep on labeling us in a negative light
0: and going back to david obviously they're talking about a minimum 15 percent global corporate tax rate is the 010 corporate tax regime dead in Guernsey? Maybe not immediately, but in the years ahead.
2: Um, it's a very good question. I suspect it may be. Um, I agree um, with uh, with the view that uh, a territorial tax system seems the likeliest uh, way forward for the islands. Um, the three islands, as uh, you know, as as has been as been mentioned, really need to do this in tandem, um, and I think we have to ensure that the uh, there is no fragmentation there because what happened in 2007-2008 when the Isle of Man broke rank and, uh, and, and led the race to the bottom really forced Guernsey and Jersey to, uh, to go down a certain route. And, uh, you know, it, that, that, that has cost all three islands uh, a lot of money um, or it took a long, long time to re- regain the, uh, the money that was lost by, by, by doing so. And I think um 10 seems less sustainable uh, than it seemed 12 13 years ago. Um, a lot of companies, of course, have, have moved out of the zero tax bracket into ten already. Um, so it, it's 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 a bit of a, uh, a, a hodgepodge of, uh, of of companies that are spread between the different categories. Um, so zero ten, I'm sure, is going to come under uh, under considerable pressure. But what we may well end up with is something that's a lot more uh, a lot more sustainable going forward and less prone to um, uh, less prone to attack.
0: Would you say that territorial tax is an option to raise more revenue in these cash-strapped times for the public sector?
2: Um, it may well be marginal. I mean, I haven't seen the numbers of what the projections would uh, would be. Um, clearly, there are companies here that uh, would be paying more tax at, at, at a 15% rate than they would at a 10% rate. Um, but don't forget that those companies which are owned by locally resident shareholders are ultimately, um, or should say those same profits are being ultimately taxed at 20% anyway when they get distributed. So um, whether that, whether the local company pays 10 or 0 or 15, uh, if 20 is what that those same profits end up being taxed at, then it may in many cases just mean the same amount of tax collected in total, but some of it will be collected sooner, which of course is not a, not a disadvantage at all, but whether and, and to what extent it affects the total tax take, um, it, it's going to be quite interesting to see, those, uh, to see those numbers.
0: And Harry, you're a chartered accountant. If we have a minimum 15% corporate tax rate around the world, is the reality actually going to be a much more complicated tax book? So we're going to have a headline rate and then
3: loads of carve-outs, and it's going to be a lot more work for specialists in that area. It's actually quite complex at the moment. Um, I mean, when I first came to the island in in one thousand nine hundred and eighty seven we had a very it was tax computations were were a blessing they were absolutely brilliant because, having done tax in the u k um, which which were a nightmare and and as David just said, with all the changes that we 've had with zero ten and some people paying twenty percent, some ten percent, and then you 've got to pay a top up when you take money out of the company and it 's just at the moment the tax our tax computations are Horrific, and you can have quite a, ta- a complex tax computation for a company that's not paying any tax. Would this make it easy in that respect? With a territorial tax system, it's got to. Would it save money for the public sector as well, in uh, terms of the administration? Must do. Yeah, because I'd, I'd hate to be a tax inspector at the moment. is I mean, I'd, I'd, I just would hate to be. And Haley, you're obviously a regulatory
0: and compliance expert. How long does this sort of thing take to actually get through? We've got to go through the G20, we've got to go through the OACD yet. They're meeting in July. How long, is this going to be years and years away, months or, or much longer?
1: Yeah, I, mean, I think speaking to quite a few other people, and I've heard some people sort of suggest this could be 10 years away, um, whether maybe they're cynical, or what have you. But I think before we even get to the the laws and the regulations on a global and then on a local level i think there's still got to be agreement between the countries this is this is a, a headline tax rate there's still a lot of you know we were talking about europe before about how the fact you've got to get a lot of different member states to be comfortable with the approach and and one something will work for one not the other i think then we've got to consider that we've got the us and europe as well have to agree exactly where you know, what this actually means, because you can imagine that the US will say the tax is ours and the EU will say the tax is ours. I think that's a fundamental thing that's probably going to throw, you know, without all the the process that comes through that. But I think, I you know, I think that's the thing that's going to take perhaps the longest to to really nail down.
0: And with Harry talking about Gairns being nimble, could there be an opportunity there for Guernsey to get in there and, and perhaps Sees them opportunities and sees those opportunities while that ten-year period or how long it is is going to take.
1: There's always caution. There's, there's optimism and, and caution around this this sort of thing. Is one we don't want to jump on anything too soon, get it wrong, uh, you know, put ourselves into an unnecessarily um, detrimental position. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that's the point. Is that over over the time, if there are opportunities, Guernsey has typically been very good at identifying them, and uh, you know offering uh, products or service whatever it is to 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 capture that but with the overlying message of course is that we we continue to you know be a good global tax citizen and and we're never going to upset that apple cart obviously.
0: And and David how worried are you about unintended consequences e.g the using this new tax shake-up as a way to uh, attack the crown dependencies putting it on on their criteria for tax blacklisting are you worried about that is it almost that indirect effect
2: yes um that is a risk and um i th- i think that risk is uh evident from the way that cayman is suffering at the moment from uh being included on the FATF f um, sort of gray list um there's talk of well more than talk i think of the gray lists of FATF and uh, the EU being merged. Um, and of course, that then brings the issue that, you know, the UK is no longer at the table in Brussels to uh, to effectively block uh, any uh, attempts to attack the, the British territories and the Crown dependencies. So that is a risk. I mean, we do know that uh, this this new 15% global tax rate is not necessarily a uh, a demand that every single jurisdiction has a minimum tax rate of fifteen percent uh, for its corporates what it means is that if if there is a rate of less than that then the parent uh, or multinational company will be deemed to have paid uh, to have underpaid its corporate tax. The problem then is that any any jurisdiction uh, of any size which refuses to uh to go along with this uh, minimum corporate tax rate um, could then be threatened with you know, being black not blacklisted or greylisted for for not doing so, um, and you know nobody wants to be on a grey list or a blacklist because it can cause lots and lots of issues, which uh, you know we could do without.
0: So just just quickly going around the table, in terms of how big a risk this tax shakeup is to go and or an opportunity, Harry, how big a risk is it? Do you think should we be worried about
3: it? I think we've got to be worried. Yes. Because um, for every, all the reasons that people have just said about because, you know, we're perceived as a tax haven, whether we are or not. But that's, that's the, uh, the perception from the outside world. Uh, we're a low-tax jurisdiction. But, uh, and I think if we, um, going back to what I said before, if, we, if we, we could actually go ahead now, the three jurisdictions get together, adopt a territorial tax system soon, and then we just – this whole issue goes away, in my opinion – Thank you and Haley
1: I don't see this. I think the thing is with when, when we talk about the sort of threat is that I think this has just changed what the threat language is for a little bit rather than, than sort of changed the way we have to approach now we you know we know um, through looking at previous gray lists um, and things like that 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 you know we are we, we are several times a target, if not always a target for some of these things. So I think this just moves the goalposts a little bit, but doesn't put us in a particularly different position.
0: Uh, and David, what would be your summing up of this issue?
2: I think we need to be uh, very mindful of what could come out of this. I think uh, the bits that we can control, I'm pretty comfortable with. I think it's the bits that we can't control, which I mean, we can't stop. But um, you know outside agencies taking a view on what we are and what we are not well, I think if we are given a level playing field and the opportunity to to be heard um, to present our case as to what we are then I don't see that we have too much to be concerned about um, it's the it's the the wider propaganda uh, against the uh, let's call them tax havens because that's what we are accused of being uh, is is the bit that we we, we simply can't control
0: you're listening to the Guernsey Press Business Podcast. More from our panel in a moment when we'll be looking at Guernsey's pandemic recovery prospects. But first, I want to tell you about our next show. We'll be joined by Kevin Bosher, the Chief Investment Officer at Investment Services Group, Ravenscroft. He is a smart guy. And this is the first in a series of regular chats looking at the long-term prospects of the economy in Guernsey
4: and further afield. So I think, firstly, the world economy is is in pretty good shape. Actually, uh, it is. We're having a strong economic recovery as as economies reopen post the pandemic. There's powerful pent up demand. There's lots of savings out there. Governments are busy spending lots of money. Central banks are keeping interest rates near zero and printing lots of money. Global trade has picked up. Consumers are spending. So. All aspects of economic activity are firing on all cylinders at the moment. So, for example, UK, US projected to grow over seven percent this year, over five percent next year. So, powerful economic recovery um, is is the first the first most important theme. Um, the second most important theme, I think, is is for investment markets certainly, and for the global economy, is is the topic of inflation. And that is, we've definitely seen a. a ...pick up in inflation numbers in the short term over the last few months. And to a large extent that was predicted... ...because last year when economies were shut down... ...there was a big deflationary impact... ...as spending effectively in investment stopped. So we're simply 12 months on... ...we're getting the base effects of that big drop falling out... um, ...which is is leading uh, to this increase in inflation. And as I say most people expected it. Having said that... ...it has surprised on the upside in the US in particular... Uh, and there are some people who fear that what we're seeing short term becomes a much longer term trend and problem. And the last time, really, the world had to worry about rising inflation was back in the 60s and 70s. So that's going to be a major issue for the global economy and markets going, going forward. And I guess the third factor is the geopolitical scene. Um, there's always... Plenty to worry about on that score, um, but what we're you know what we're seeing between China and the US, and indeed China and Europe and everywhere else, it's not just about um, trade, global trade. It's about the fact that China is genuinely challenging the US as a global military, economic, and technological superpower, uh, and and actually China probably comes out of this pandemic in a much stronger position relative to the US, um, and so this is very much a long term thing thing at play here. Uh, as well as all the usual uh, geopolitical situation in in the Middle East, um, which is having an impact on on the oil price. So I think those are kind of the three key factors. On the whole, we're in a very positive place for the global economy and for investment markets. But as always, there are plenty of things to worry about.
0: Well, you can hear more from Kevin Bosher in the first of a special interview series. Watch out for it in a couple of weeks' time. Now, though, it's back to our panel, Hayley Camp, David Pising, and Harry dick to reflect on how well Guernsey's handling its recovery from the pandemic. I began by asking
3: Harry how he thinks the island is faring. At the moment, the island the island did exceptionally well. Uh, I, I think the way, as we all know, Nicola Brink just did the, the most amazing job in, in keeping us safe, um, the... Everything that she said was clear, it was concise, we all followed it, we all came out of lockdown, life was 100% normal, and um, in that situation, uh, we, we have, the portfolio of clients that we have is probably probably got the most diverse portfolio of any accountancy firm on the island, so we can say with a little bit of authority, and almost every single trading entity was, was doing an amazing job absolutely terrific the only people that suffered were um museums because we haven't got the tourists but everybody else was uh, never been as busy and if you look if now if you think if you want a new kitchen a new bathroom you want building done the problem is is getting a hold of people and then they'll say well i can't do it now i can do it in six to nine months time and so the island at the moment is is literally booming so it's good news then it is, but I think it's probably in the, it's in the short term for six to nine months. And what's going to happen in the post-COVID world in six to nine months? And that's when we need our politicians to really start acting, get together and start taking some really, um, not necessarily tough decisions. Well, there is, there is a tough decision that needs to be made on tax, but I can come to that later. But they, they really do need to start acting and acting together and not as 45 or whatever they are individuals.
0: And Hayley, where do you think we are in the economic recovery at the moment?
1: Well, I mean, talking about the fund sector, um, I'm going to say we've never, uh, you know, we've it's sort of almost never been as good. Um, I think, you know, at the beginning of COVID, there was a lot of uncertainty. Funds could have gone to the wall um, and jobs could have been lost, but actually, that that didn't happen, and that seems to be mirrored across the sector. Um, there's still very, very healthy um, business flows, uh, which is which is great. But I suppose the the, the question then comes is how sustainable is that while we're in this lockdown Guernsey is, um, you know, we we started off at the beginning of the the pandemic, you know, working from home is amazing and we're never getting on another plane. But actually, I think we're getting to the point where now you've got, you know, Zoom fatigue. Um, How many new people can you really meet when when we're hundreds, thousands miles away? Actually. You know, th- these industries that rely on business from off-island need to have the freedom to be off-island, go and meet those people. Um, it's all relationship-driven, so we need to start building those relationships.
0: And, and David, how long can Guernsey PLC cope with more limited travel? I appreciate there's going to be an opening up from 1st of July as planned, but obviously that's still with some restrictions. Are you seeing an issue around what's Haley saying, that, you know, this travel is becoming more of an issue, or are we okay for another six, nine months maybe?
2: I don't think we're okay for as long as that. I think we might be okay for a very short period. Um, I, I think it's, uh, what Heidi said was absolutely right in the sense that you know there is going to be less uh, business travel. People will only be making business trips if it's really uh, necessary. Um, but necessary is an interesting, um, you know, interesting question because you know a key part of a lot of what the Guernsey finance industry does, uh, you know, is built about is built around relationships and. You can have you know hundreds and hundreds of Zoom calls and uh, calls with people that you already know, but trying to trying to build those same relationships with people that you haven't yet had a chance to meet is where there is a little bit of a, a shortcoming in in you know how to get new business over the line. Um, you know there are lots of wealthy families, wealthy clients out there looking at setting up structures. Um, they want to look you in the eye and, and, uh, and, and build a, a rapport with you before they decide to, to put their business with you. Um, and there's only so much you can do of that nature over, um, uh, over video calls. It's um, you know, that personal touch, meeting over dinner, um, really getting to know people. That's the, that's the bit uh, that, that we're sort of all held back a little bit on at the moment.
0: If you think about that particular issue there, about that, that holding back, when does it become an issue for when when does it become an issue and and almost other competitive jurisdictions, maybe Jersey for example, which seem to be more open at the moment? When do they start seeing a march on us? I suppose it's a very difficult balance to get.
2: I, th- I think that sort of happened last summer to an extent when we were closed and and, and Jersey was more open. That was only a very short term thing. Um, but I think you know, we're not just competing with with Jersey and the Isle of Man, for example, you know, whether it's Switzerland, whether it's Asia, whether it's you know, the other, some of the Caribbean jurisdictions, uh, we're, we're all competing for, um, you know, for private wealth. And, uh, um, it, you know, we're, we're, the, the whole world is not going to be moving at the same pace, um, you know, in relation to COVID, because it's at different, um, different stages in, uh, in different places.
0: And do you think the current plan is the right one? Or do we need a much more expansive freedom day for everyone sooner rather than later?
2: I don't think you can have a definitive Freedom Day because the data keeps changing, the data keeps moving. Um, You know, rightly or wrongly, we are pretty much tied to what's going on in the UK, aren't we, in terms of uh, the UK borders. And, um, you know, getting in and out of London may be one thing. What happens if you want to go further afield? Depending on where you want to go, um, you know, there are issues elsewhere. Um, You know, if you're in and out of the Middle East, uh, for example, then the Middle East is much more exposed directly to to uh, to what's come what's going on in India for example um you know the, the, there's there's lots of uh variances there if you're going in and out of the U.S. um you know whatever's happening in Latin America has a big influence on what's going on in in Miami um you know where a Latin American business is, is so uh, London I don't think is going to be too too much of an issue uh, I think uh, the long distance stuff uh, is is going to be the uh, you know the bigger challenge
0: um, this is a general question, perhaps aimed at Harry initially and then to Haley. Can the tourism sector survive another lean summer, which could happen or may not happen?
3: I, I think it. Uh, I think that uh, you know, as I said, uh, some of the tourist attractions, um, for instance, the museums, of nobody's going, so they have to be supported, um, and the levels of support that they've that we've got at the moment are good. But they're going to have to continue. They can't stop, otherwise these entities won't exist anymore um there could be an opportunity because um you know as, as david was saying if you think about the people in the uk well, where are they going to go on holiday if they can't go outside mainland uk we're a jurisdiction that they can come to and as we all know we we offer something that jersey doesn't so um and we've certainly got infinitely better weather than the isle of man so what a you what a fantastic place to come to so if if all the other jurisdictions are closed. People should be invited to come here, and I think, I think what we—the only thing that I would say—the um, fact that you can travel free if you've had both jabs—I would still, if I, if it was up to me, I think everyone coming in has to be tested. Then, then you're keeping all of us safe. And Haley, do you think there's an option to chase the grey
0: pound here in terms of tourism sector?
1: Yeah, uh, very possibly. Because they'll be double jabbed. <laughs> They're the ones who are double jabbed. Quite right. They're at the front of the, the queue. Oh, yeah, I, I think there possibly is. But sorry, just to sort of go slightly off piste and, and talk about the sort of opening of restrictions for for business as well um, uh, is that you know tourism is one part of how that sector, hospitality, and everything kind of makes makes their money, but also um, you know the finance industry clearly assists in the hospitality sector and you know I, I sort of think of years past where we were able to have board meetings and those clients speak so fondly of the great restaurants that we take them to I mean even you know uh, I certainly remember one person very fondly remembers the West Show and then um, dinner at Crabby Jack's and so we've got a lot to show tourists but also clients and, and we haven't been able to showcase ourselves in that way so I think yes I think if we we're able to take the opportunity to showcase Guernsey for, for however long that lasts, we could um, definitely uh, take advantage uh, you know, of, of the spend that comes with that.
0: And Harry, you said there's some difficult decisions to be made. What are those difficult decisions to be made?
3: Well, I think we all know, um, mm-hmm. that, you know planning. Planning is an issue that just needs sorting. Just, you know, when you read in the paper, somebody said um, from the planning department that they were delighted that things only took... Well, I don't know, whatever it was, 24 weeks, and they were going to cut it down by several weeks. That's just pathetic. Sort it out. You know, if you need... Should, some planning applications should just be pushed, pushed through, get the nod, and just get, get the economy working and stop having this, this block jam with, with planning. Um, and the states need to start spending money on infrastructure and serious money because they haven't for donkey's years you know, for instance, if you look at the King Edward Hospital, why, that, that's an amazing site. We're short of housing stock, why on earth just get on, stop dilly-dallying, just sort that out. Um, Tax, how, one of my bugbears is, uh, I I think we should avoid GST like the plague. Um, It's a very uh, costly tax to administer. It's a costly tax to collect and and the reason it's disproportionately costly for us because we've only got a population of 60,000. it's different in jersey because i've got double the population so trying to say oh well it's it's not going to cost that much no you're wrong in my opinion obviously that's my opinion but i think um for me the big win is having either a motor tax or an insurance premium tax which is what mark hellyer talked about And if you think we've got 80,000 vehicles on the island, 250 quid per annum raises 20 million per year. And if the insurance company collect the tax, the cost of collection is actually zero. You might need one or two people to make sure the insurance companies are paying. You need one disc on your car. And I would also say to the people who don't necessarily like that, oh, what do you do with Mrs... Mrs Major who lives in Torteval, because she's going to be paid well get on the bus then because actually the buses are terrific uh, I never used to use the buses but I've been on the bus a few times and they're actually very very good um, so I, for me I would just have some form of motor tax there's, there's the 4x4s four on the island could pay a bit more it's not difficult and the other thing is with, with, a, with a tax on vehicles is wealthy people tend to have more than one car Some of them have got three or four cars, so they're going to have to pay more. End of. And the other thing I'd do is when we've dilly-dally, we talk about paid parking. I know this was talked about before, but um, if you think of the parking clock, which we have, I certainly wouldn't want to have a meter that we go and put money into, but the parking clock, we could easily just make the parking clock 20 quid per annum, change the colour of it every year. And have an on-the-spot fine of 100 quid if you're not having, if you're not displaying your parking clock. And again, that would raise serious amounts of money. And and Hayley,
0: do you feel there's an issue around revenue raising, but also maybe around the size of the population in Guernsey?
1: Yeah, in terms of population, so if we say about if we if I talk about um, finding people, recruitment is at pretty much a high rate. So we're, we're constantly looking for people. Um, the difficulty of the size of our population is there's only a finite resource there and so yeah your 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 two choices are either you you find somebody who doesn't want to go to university easy at the moment because they can't really go or they haven't been able to but those clever people will disappear at some stage or or we're talking about licenses um so I think there's two things one is the license uh, the license process needs to be um easier to to handle but still safeguarding the fact that actually we do have a homegrown population of people so the other side is I would like to see education um, focus less on sending our brightest and best off island to never return Um, there's a lot of skills that we need on this island and actually our education system could prepare um, for those skills to give people the opportunity to come back university is a great thing I'm not Dissing that in any way um it's, it's great for life skills and, and other things but there has it, it would be nice to think that we as an island gave people a reason to return after they'd finished that study
0: and, and david in that post-covid hopefully world where we're starting to recover economically do you think there's some difficult decisions for going to make or some quick actions that need to be done
2: um well i think as, as harry touched on there infrastructure is a huge um uh, boost and a uh, you know, uh, to rejuvenate the economy. We're way behind what we needed to have spent over the last 10 years, 15 years. uh, And there's a big catch-up exercise required there. We've got to do it. Um, But on the other hand, we don't just do it for the sake of doing it. We've got to do it with the right projects. And those projects have got to be, you know, well thought out. And clearly the, you know, the Eastern Seaboard uh, sort of development opportunities are, uh, you know, very prevalent at the moment. Um, I think we... um, you know, we we need to keep looking at diversifying uh, the economy because, you know, what we've got is a real issue with our dependency ratio, uh, our demographics are, are appalling over the next, you know, 10 to 15, 10 to 15 years' time. We've got a big problem, uh, a huge problem, and we can't leave it until that problem arrives before trying to do anything about it. Um, we have got to find reasons for people to... Either stay on the island or to come back after university. Um, that can only happen if there are jobs for them to do. We've got to find jobs for them to do. There's there's already uh, you know clearly a, a looming challenge where a lot of jobs in the finance industry could be automated, um, and there are pro- all sorts of projections suggesting that you know 20, 30 percent even of uh, of current jobs might be outsourced, sorry automated, and and. Uh, you know, to other jurisdictions, maybe, or just not required to be done. How do those jobs get replaced? Now, you know, we aren't going to grow our population and we're not going to attract younger working people to come in to replace those who are leaving the workforce uh, as they get get older, unless there are jobs for them to do. And those jobs are not necessarily going to be the same jobs that exist today. Um, And we've got to be prepared for what the new world is going to bring uh, and just doing what we've always done, I don't think he's going to give us the answers that we're going to need. Um, so I think there's lots of challenges there. I fully get the concerns of people at the moment saying we don't need, we, you know, the island is full. Um, we can't handle more people, um, you know, more more traffic on the roads, uh, pressure on schools and hospitals and everything else. And I I absolutely get that. The issue is that if we don't do something to grow the the, the working population then the, the uh, consequences uh, for the island economically uh, of doing nothing um, are actually far worse than the consequences of, uh, uh, of acti- you know, act- actively growing that population. Um, you know, a lot of people who are in their 70s today um, in 15 years time are not going to be clogging up the roads and clogging up the schools. They're going to be living pretty much behind closed doors for most of their lives. So, it's not a question of the population in total it's a question of the working population and the people that are out there um out out and about every day on the roads and and doing things but contributing to our social insurance uh pool so that um you know future pensions and future um, social welfare benefits can be paid because if there's people are paying in we've got a
3: problem i couldn't agree with you more david I, I think i think what there needs to be there needs to be a root and branch post-covid review of the entire housing license situation um and that needs done urgently you know if if you've got uh, we all like going to the restaurant well they're all struggling with trying to get chefs and people to work in, in in the trade at the moment well the uk's got a problem with that because they all left and went back to europe and so really in order to attract people We perhaps should give them licences, as you would um, somebody who's going to come in as a managing director of a bank. The whole thing needs looking at, and we need to attract these people to come and live on the island, and there needs to be affordable housing, which is why you need to spend on the infrastructure. So, unfortunately, uh, the population has got to expand. There, there There is no other way, and people write into the paper and say, well, no, well, I'm sorry, but in which case, go and live in Sark or Herm then. Um, the island has to move forward and we have to expand the population it's as simple as that for all the reasons that you've just said David and I do think the housing license situation needs urgently looking at yesterday. Quickfire one just to end up are you optimistic
0: about the island's future Haley?
1: Yeah absolutely Guernsey uh, has demonstrated again and again that it um, not only uh, not only sort of manages but actually it thrives in opportunity so there's no no reason to doubt the same won't be won't be the case here.
0: Fantastic, and David, are you optimistic about the future?
2: Yes, cautiously optimistic. I believe we have a good chance of um adapting in the same way that we've always adapted. The challenges are just different uh going forward to the ones that we've had uh, in the past, but uh, yes, I'm cautiously optimistic.
0: Thank you, and Harry,
3: you've got the opportunity to end. Absolutely. I I, I agree with uh, the two previous speakers and, um and I I couldn't agree more i i i am very optimistic um i'm concerned about whether our deputies feel the same way one of the success stories of covid is you just look at alderney um alderney was seen as a backwater whereas now everybody in the whole everybody in the whole bailiff seems to want to go to alderney on holiday And, and i've certainly got a i've got somewhere booked in september well i wouldn't have done that two years ago
0: well, that's it for the first edition of the Guernsey Press Business Podcast. I've enjoyed it. I hope you have too. And we'll be back with that special interview with Kevin Boscher in two weeks' time and another panel discussion exploring the big issues facing Bailiwick business next month. Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed the show, make sure to hit follow or subscribe whenever you get your podcast to get every episode delivered straight to you. You can also follow me on Twitter. Politics Editor is where to find me and on LinkedIn too. As ever, you can read all about the latest business news in the pages of the Guernsey Press too.
1: We'll see you next time.